Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. We pray that it would penetrate our hearts and indeed set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Reformation Sunday. There are times when we think of the Reformation as a time when uh, Luther was led by the word into conflict with the church at that time. And that the Reformation really is the demarcation of the distinction between Catholics and Protestants. And while that is true, I think there was something else going on in Luther. I don't think Luther's primary focus was a problem he had with the church of his day. I think the primary problem Luther had was with himself, with his own heart, with his own tendency to veer away from the truth into his own self-understanding. And I think the second thing that motivated Luther was uh, seeing the struggle and the hardship of the people of his parish as their hearts were breaking under the bondage of what they were hearing being taught from the church. And so last week we talked about the five solas coming today, and, and today in particular looking at sola scriptura, scripture alone, or the word alone. And I do want us to be mindful that we as a denomination in both the NALC and the LCMC began uh, as a movement that was known as the word alone. And I want us to remember uh, what we hear in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I've recently been doing a Bible study through First and 2 Timothy. And in the third chapter of 2 Timothy, we hear these words about the scripture. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Then I want us to think about two statements of faith. Now these come from our NALC website. These are the statements of faith that all of our churches and pastors uh, claim as true, uh, not only for the church, but for them. And they include these two thoughts. The proclamation of God's message to us, both law and gospel, is the word of God, revealing judgment and mercy through word and deed, beginning with the word in creation, continuing in the history of Israel, and centering in all its fullness in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God's word coming to us as both law and and gospel culminating in the person of Jesus. And just in case uh, some of you more scholarly types recognize that this uh, 2 Timothy 3, when it talked about all scripture, at that point, it was talking about the Old Testament. And so just in case we're a little confused, let's also hear this statement of faith that continues on uh, on our statement of belief. 
the canonical scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as the inspired word of God and the authoritative source and norm of its proclamation, faith, and life, according to which all doctrines should and must be judged. Statement coming from the formula of Concord, going all the way back to the early days of the Reformation and the formation of our Lutheran denomination within the Christian church. Old Testament and New Testament, both bringing us the truth of God's word in law and gospel. The two words, law and gospel. I want to clarify something just in case. I'm sure most all of you already know this, but just to be absolutely clear, let's make sure we understand this. The Old Testament is not the law and the New Testament the gospel. In the Old Testament, there is both law and gospel, and in the New Testament, there is both law and gospel. It is not either or, but both and. As Lutheran Christians, we believe that both elements of God's word are absolutely essential in communicating the truth of God and the truth about us. So let's seek to understand that a little bit more. There's this interesting little diagram about the distinction between law and gospel. It suggests that the law shows our sin and the gospel shows our Savior. The, the law makes clear to us the reality of our lives. And the gospel makes clear to us the reality of God's response to our lives in the person of Jesus. Let's look at that another way. The law tells us what we have to do and not do, and the gospel tells us what God has already done through Jesus. Or let's put it another way. The purpose of the law reveals our sins and guides us in knowing how to live a God-pleasing life. How is this applied? When someone does not realize they have sinned or always applied lovingly to lead them to the gospel. And what is the purpose of the gospel? The gospel reveals that God loves us, that God has forgiven us by sending Jesus to pay for our sins. And how is this applied? When someone is despairing of their sin, and thinks God doesn't love them, we communicate the gospel. You see, Martin Luther was very aware of his own sin and brokenness. He understood very well that his life fell short. I imagine you recognize that for yourself too. You may remember uh, my using the example in the past of uh, this phrase that my son likes to say to me. He, he says, Dad, your face is stuck. Now this is his response when he sees on my face some form of displeasure in something he said or done, and it just kind of lingers there for a while. 
And it's his way of saying, Dad, get over it. You know, you, you, you've already made yourself clear here. Well, today I want to suggest that we may need to be thinking about not our face getting stuck, but our faith getting stuck. I want to suggest that sometimes we misappropriate the law by lingering in its accusation. Have you ever been stuck in a feeling of guilt? Have you ever had that feeling of guilt or brokenness or unworthiness linger for a while? Like an hour? Or a week? Or a year? Maybe throughout an entire Sunday morning service, walk away feeling like, I've really blown it. Well, if that's the case, then we're getting stuck in our faith. We're getting stuck in the law. When the intention of the law is to indicate the reality of our lives, but then drive us to the one who can do something and in fact has done something about it. Yes, we are sinners, but we are forgiven sinners because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. I remember talking to one of the members of a former church. This was a person who was a follower of Jesus. This was a person who was in church every Sunday and most weeks was at a Bible study and also involved in a small group, occasionally sang in the choir, especially around Christmas and Easter. Uh, a very active person of faith. She identified herself absolutely and clearly as a disciple of Jesus. But in the process, she did not believe that she needed forgiveness anymore because she already had it. She thought that there was a time when she needed a savior, but she was saved and now she's good. Well, what I want to suggest to you is that what the Bible teaches in the law is a recognition of amartia, sin, that we occasionally get off the mark and the word of God in both law and gospel redirects us to center back on the truth of God. It is useful for correction, for rebuke, for training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed. We need God's word to remind us when we're going off course. Oddly enough, one of the times that this became most clear in my life was when I was in seminary. I was in a systematic theology course. And in systematic theology, one of the things that you do is you look at a truth and then you seek to apply it in deeper and deeper ways. And the problem is, is sometimes when you do that, you go off the ditch in that direction. And my experience in seminary as I was playing on the precipice of the ditch was that my personal devotional life when I was reading the Bible would correct it. It would remind me that, yes, you are a child of God forgiven and you still sin. 
And you can still mess up. You continue to need a savior. Tim was joking with me earlier. Did he go in the back? Is he hiding back there somewhere? All the way back in the corner. He was joking with me earlier about the fourth use of the law. The reason that's a joke, and you may not recognize it, is because it's the third use of the law, not the fourth use of the law. And he was trying to hook me this morning before I preach. Nice guy. But the third use of the law is a reminder that it it does indeed show us how God wants us to live our lives in relationship to God and one another. The way Luther put it, though, is that it simply fails to provide the power to do so. And so we realize that there are things we should do or can't do, or should do, but can't do. Are, are, you, are you happy to live in, in the age of the Internet? I, I am very happy to live in the age of the Internet. I'm obviously a little more techie than some other pastors. But, but one of the things I really like, because I'm um, mechanically inept, I like YouTube. You know, if I don't know how to do something, I can look up a YouTube and it will show me how to do it with pictures. I, I love the fact that, that I have a problem, I can watch a YouTube video for how to fix the problem, and then I could fix the problem. Sometimes. Other times, even though it has pictures, even though it shows me exactly what to do, I realize even when I'm watching the YouTube that I am not going to be able to do what the guy on YouTube does. I'm stuck, meaning I recognize this is too big a problem for me. I can't fix it. So what do you do? You call someone who can. Exactly right. You call someone who can fix it, who does know how to fix it. The law shows us the things in our lives that we cannot fix, and then it points us to the one, our God, who indeed does fix it, does fix us and make us right with God. That's the the coming together of the law and the gospel in the scripture. Listen to this text in Romans that reinforces this. It's really where Luther got it. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. I hope that in reading God's word, you will occasionally hear areas in your life that are not right, that need to be corrected, for which you need to say, I'm sorry, and from which you need to repent. And I hope your knowledge of the gospel, the promise of God and the knowledge that God both loves you and desires to forgive you will give you the courage to say you're wrong when you are. That you won't get stuck in condemnation. That you won't allow your identity to be rooted in your past 
mistakes or even your fear of future failure. But that instead you will allow the gospel of Christ to say, yes, you are broken and I, the Lord Jesus, will make you whole, will draw you again to myself, will bless you so that you can be a blessing in and through this world in which you live. When I was young, I was asked to memorize some scriptures, and one of them was Romans uh, 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I remember it so clearly, and even when I studied the book of Romans, out of which a lot of the Reformation thought comes, I recognized that Romans 1 communicated to its readers that those Gentiles, meaning anybody not a Jew, those Gentiles are sinners. By the way, that's most of you. Romans 2 says really clearly that, oh, by the way, you Jews too are sinners. Maybe there's someone in the room, I don't know. And then Romans 3 culminates right here in this text. All of you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And my problem is, is I memorize that verse and I get stuck there. I memorize that verse and I remember it almost every Sunday morning when we come together and confess our sin. I remember it every time we do communion and I realize as I come to the altar that I come broken and in need of God's grace and mercy. And what I want to say to you today is it is law and gospel. What I want to say to you today is the law speaks the truth to our condition, but the gospel speaks the truth of God's promise and transforming work. When he says, even right here in Romans 3.24, which is in fact the culmination of those early chapters, not verse 23, and it says this, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Jesus. The church lives with this gift of God's word as both law and gospel. A word that will not shy away from the reality of our lives, but will continually speak the truth of the reality of God's love for us in Jesus. That's where our identity should be rooted, not denying the truth of our brokenness, but accepting the grace and mercy and love of the God who makes us right with him in Jesus. There's this incredible image that you heard read this morning uh, from Revelation. It's, it's at verse four, or chapter 14 near the end. Listen again to these incredible words. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Do you fit into any of those categories, or maybe all of them? The angel of God flying through the air, 
proclaiming the eternal, never-ending truth of the good news that Jesus Christ paid for your mistakes and that you are now by faith a child of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we continue to live in the reality of God's word needing to correct us. We receive that by grace through faith. We share it. And I, I raise all this because I realize that, that I still struggle with this idea in the truth of who I am as a person. I'm not worthy of God's grace and love. I don't deserve it. And so hear this great word from Luther, whose own life and ministry to the people of his church was transformed by this truth. God doesn't love us because of our worth. We are worthy because of God's love for us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are loved. You are forgiven. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please stand.